Across Australia, individuals who work in aged care and quarantine will be required to be fully vaccinated against COVID in order to keep working in their industries. And in New South Wales, healthcare, childcare, disability support workers and other essential industries will have to prove to their employer that they're fully vaccinated against COVID by the end of this year. But there's many people who are engaged in healthcare who aren't technically under this blanket vaccination rule. Employees such as cleaning staff, receptionists and some administration workers may not fall under these categories. So is it up to workplaces to ensure they're vaccinated against COVID? And how can employers do so in an ethical way? This episode, we are joined by Dr. Jane Williams, a postdoctoral scholar at Sydney Health Ethics at the University of Sydney, who specialises in public health ethics and policy. Dr. Williams, welcome to the Tea Room. Thanks for having me. So if we start by looking at at the complex nature of a lot of workplaces introducing mandatory vaccination, what are the biggest challenges with that at the outset? Yeah, um, I think the biggest problem right now is that, honestly, I think a lot of the uh, talking that we're doing about mandates is pretty premature because there are still a lot of people facing access problems Um, and I know that when the government uh, announced that aged care workers would uh, be under a vaccine mandate that was uh, something that was really difficult I believe for a lot of aged care workers uh, and their employers frankly to hear because a lot of them haven't been able to access the vaccine so I just read a headline yesterday or the day before that said something like 50% of aged care workers are now vaccinated, which is terrific. Obviously, you know, the more the better, but 50% is really still pretty low um, given the nature of their work. So I think um, mandates are down the road. And what we really, really need to be focusing on right now is how to get the vaccine to people, how to get people vaccinated. I think also that a lot of what happened in Australia when we didn't have COVID in the community, there was a lot of complacence and a lot of the communications, particularly around which vaccine you might get, and some of the risks associated with AstraZeneca, they were valid at the time because there was so little risk associated with um, getting COVID. But now I'm I'm in New South Wales, so talking about New South Wales, that risk is uh, higher. And so that means that the calculus around the vaccine is also higher. But I think you can't, you know, people can't just sort of disappear the information that they had for several months and go, oh, oh, well, AstraZeneca used not to be okay, but now it's okay, but I don't really want it. You know, it's a really, really difficult uh, thing for people to do. So this is a very long-winded way of answering your question. Um, I think that employers need to be really, really attentive to the practical and knowledge-based difficulties that all staff might have um, with getting vaccinated before or as part of a mandate. So that might mean that uh, employers could 
uh, have vaccination sessions at work. Um, and probably that would involve several sessions because it can be quite hard to um, be in a situation where you're all capturing all the casual stuff as well. Uh, it might mean that employers could sponsor information sessions. Uh, and I understand that a lot of your listeners are in healthcare anyway, so you know that should be something that's fairly easy to have in-house. Um, but when we were talking about mandates, we were um, essentially thinking about the um, the big companies such as SBC and Qantas and so on and suggesting that uh, it was important for those sorts of companies to be able to provide really good quality medical information or not just medical, sort of healthcare information uh, for their employees, situations where the employees can ask all of the questions that they want to ask. So all of these things around information, you know, settling people's anxieties if they have any, uh, and making the vaccine meaningfully available should be first steps before telling people that they have to get it. And I know that one of the points that you made, you recently wrote an article for the conversation, was that employers might think about offering alternatives to their staff. What can that entail? Yeah, so um, it depends a little bit on the industry, obviously. Um, But I'm not a big fan of blanket mandates, uh, because I think that they need to, there needs to be a reason for a mandate, right? It needs to be that the person is at high risk, perhaps, of um, of getting COVID and and therefore passing it on to his or her family and community, uh, or that the people that he or she are working with are at high risk of harm from COVID, like higher risk, uh, which is, for example, the the aged care setting um so i think if people aren't in those situations or if they don't have to be working closely with people uh it can be difficult to justify a mandate and if there are ways that their jobs can be changed uh or their um like their physical interactions or whatever can be changed uh, then that should, is something that should be explored as well. So, for example, um, I'm an academic. I basically can do my entire job from my from home if I need to. I'd really prefer not to, <laughs> but uh, but I can. I don't have to have any um, any interaction with anybody. So it would be very difficult to justify having me having to have uh, a COVID, uh, to be COVID vaccinated. Uh, I am, and I'm very excited to be vaccinated (laughs) against COVID. Um, But there are distancing measures that people can take. Uh, I guess masks might be an option. I do think that they need to be able to be really effective. You can't be like, oh, you just wear a mask and then uh, you don't need to get vaccinated. Uh, if that person is at uh, high risk themselves or putting somebody else um, at risk. But 
not all jobs are the same and not all jobs carry the same degree of risk. So I'm just kind of uh, thinking at the moment about what that might look like perhaps in a um, GP surgery. So if, say, you have cleaners who come in after hours and they might interact with each other but not with uh, surgery staff or patients or anything like that, I think it would be difficult to... Uh, require that the those staff be vaccinated uh, as a condition of their job. Uh, yeah, so I I think it just depends a bit on on what their roles are and the sort of uh, sort of interactions that they have with others. And if we look to an example of companies that have tried to mandate this on a larger scale, for example, Qantas in the last two weeks, what do you see as the ethics surrounding that decision? And is it the same where they might be blanketing something that isn't Mm. uh, necessarily equal for their staff members? Yeah, I I don't have heaps and heaps of info about this. I mean, I've just read the the press release and probably just the same information that everyone else has. There were a few things that were interesting about that. Um, One is that they said that their um, flight attendants and so on needed to be vaccinated by the end of the year. And that seems reasonable, I think. And probably um, I think people who work in that situation have got a really big reason to get vaccinated, right? Because they want to get back to work. I mean, this is obviously um, travel has been so seriously affected by this um, pandemic that uh, people want their livelihoods to return and they want their lives to be similar uh, to how they were before. But then it said that all staff have to be vaccinated by April something. I don't recall. It's difficult to understand why office staff would have to be vaccinated, particularly people who might be uh, working remotely or might be able to work remotely or who just don't really have much interaction with others. Um, it's, I'm not a hundred percent sure who they meant by everybody. It sounded to me like a blanket thing, but there must be so many roles at Qantas, um, different kinds of roles that include different kinds of people in different places, doing different work. It's hard, I think, then to justify a blanket mandate. Um, and I, you know, it'd be really interesting to see more information about this, um, but I don't have any. <laughs> so it's a bit hard to answer that question. So in a nutshell, I guess, if GPs are thinking about their own practice and the staff members involved, not all who are healthcare professionals has been yeah. established, what is the best way forward to start thinking about about this problem? Because obviously GPs want to see all their staff protected against COVID when they know that it could be coming through the door. And the Mm. other aspect of it is very financial because people don't want to have to shut down for two or three weeks, either because they're short staffed or because uh, people have uh, contracted COVID on the premises. I guess what is 
uh, strategy forward of dealing with this issue? Yeah, so um, I would recommend that, uh, that that conversation start sooner rather than later, that that uh, practice owners talk to all of the staff, um, try and understand where people haven't been vaccinated, why that is the case, and if there is uh, if there are things that they can do to help that situation. That might be with information. It might be with uh, sourcing uh, vaccine. It might be. Uh, yeah, I mean, who knows? Um, I think that having staff on board really early in the conversation, rather than just sending around a, uh, a note saying everyone has to be vaccinated by December or unfortunately you'll need to find another place to work or something like that. I'm not sure if that's quite how it works. But having people involved in the journey, I suppose, I think will go a very long way to establishing um, a willingness to vaccinate, really understanding the rationales behind the mandate, and um, and I guess just establishing sort of trust and goodwill and, and feeling that employers want the best for their staff and their patients and obviously their business. Um, and that that feels a bit like a circular thing where where the staff also want those things. I think um, just being really open and transparent about it from the beginning and trying to trying to just avoid a situation where where it's an announcement, I guess. Um, my personal view is that, because of all of the communications that there have been about the different vaccine types, I think that people under a mandate should be able to choose what vaccine they get. That is possibly not a very um, popular <laughs> argument, but I do feel for people who have spent a lot of time being, I guess, you know, hearing about the very, very small risks of harm associated with AstraZeneca, for example, then being told that they need to have that vaccine. I think, you know, I think that's a really tough thing for people to get their heads around. Uh, I believe I believe that that was the strategy when they first announced at a federal level to have aged care vaccinated. I believe that there was the element of choice. Okay. Uh, so that people came forward quite quickly, but I don't know where that ended up because obviously then our vaccination supply uh, became very constrained quite quickly. Exactly. So it could be that it's a choice, but I do know that a lot of people are still really struggling to access, um, I guess, Pfizer. You know, I, re I really hate that I've kind of turned this into a AstraZeneca versus Pfizer thing because it's so difficult and damaging, but the fact is that it's been done that sort of difficult and damaging discourses out there. And I think if we're making people do something that they might not be comfortable with, then we really, really have to acknowledge that that, that, that it is out there and that it's been done and that we need to manage the fallout from that um, in a way that just continues to, like, maximise numbers. We just need as many people vaccinated as we can, right? Um, 
But that doesn't mean making people do something that they're profoundly uncomfortable with, I think. Dr. Jane Williams, thank you for your time. Thanks very much. Before we go, don't forget that you can follow or subscribe to The Tea Room right now by searching for the show on the podcast player of your choice. You'll then be notified when a new episode becomes available. Catch you next time.